Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Hey, what's going on? Sorry, I don't know to if everyone. you heard, there was a few Supreme Court decisions this week. We we said we there was definitely some action, so let's talk about it. Yeah. So the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade as expected. Now we we talked about this on the podcast because there was a leaked decision back in I think March, April, and now it's official. So the court has held that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe v. Wade was incorrectly decided, the court said. That's uh, Justice Alito writing. Therefore, he says, uh, Roe v. Wade can't be justified as a precedent. I personally think that this is a great day in American history. Uh, Roe v. Wade was a terrible decision. I I think it could be understood as kind of like a dead cockroach in the constitutional hot fudge Sunday. I think the reasoning was convoluted and fanciful, regardless of what you feel about abortion think that this is the right decision from a court standpoint. And over the course of 50 years, the conservative movement has worked to undo the damage. And uh, so that's a it's a long coming success story. I think Justice Alito proved his mettle. I think he's a great American. I think we owe a debt of gratitude to this court for their courage and resolve. And we've seen what they've taken as a result. They've been harassed. Their houses have been uh, assault, um, have, have been uh, surrounded. And, uh, and Justice Kavanaugh had his life threatened with the assassination. So now the question of abortion policy shifts to the political branches, to the states where it belongs. I think this is the Supreme Court relinquishing power and turning it over to the people and state legislators. So this uh, this critique that uh, this is a, a, a power grab, it's the absolute opposite of a power grab. It's relinquishing power. It's returning it back to the people. For, uh, for 50 years, the court made it impossible for reasonable people to disagree or so- sort out any sort of compromise. Now the issue can finally be debated and voted on in the states across the country. Todd, what's your reaction? Well, um, very much so the same. And I'm going to compare, well, the power grab was actually the Roe versus Wade decision, because at the time in right. 1972, Utah and about 25 other states, abortion was illegal. And the Supreme Court in 1972 said, we don't care what you state legislators think. We don't care what the people voted for. We're going to preempt your state law and we're going to, we're going to do this emperor has a new, has, has new clothes. And we're going to pretend, we're going to pretend like the constitution protects the right uh, to end the, uh, a life prematurely, the life of a fetus, an unborn fetus. Now, you said this is going to the states, and I'm not going to disagree with you, but there will be a push on the right and the left, I think, to litigate, uh, to, to legislate this in Congress. And, and again, and all of these Democrat liberals, uh, progressives who are shaking their fists and saying, we want the federal government to decide this, we don't trust the states. You know, fast forward two years when the Republicans have but, you know, the House and the Senate and the White House in 2025. I don't think these liberals are going to be so excited about the federal yeah. government deciding yeah. all these issues. And if you read the dissent um, for, for the, the three Democratic uh, appointed justices, which was, I believe, authored by Kagan, who's by far the most liberal of those three. Uh, I'm sorry, Sotomayor, who's by yeah. far the most liberal of those three. It basically um, it punts any legal analysis 
It punts any historical analysis other than to say, well, the Republicans got it wrong. And it basically says over and over again, we like abortion, we support abortion, we want abortion, therefore, the Constitution should protect abortion. Remember, um, the voters in New York and the voters in California, they can still get abortion, virtually abortion on demand. And that's not changing in any of those traditionally blue states. And those voters, they don't get to vote against um, pro-life candidates three times. They only get to vote against them once, you know, each of those voters. And so and then there's states like Utah, where it's so solidly pro-life um, uh, that it, it, this, I don't think, is going to have a big impact. So there's a few swing states where it might have an impact. And, you know, e- even um, Florida, they're, they're imposing a 15-week ban. Now, Utah, and, and my biggest surprise on Friday was the speed at which Utah's trigger law went into effect. It literally took like eight hours. And so I thought it was going to take like three weeks before I, I literally did. I thought it would take like three weeks before our trigger. And I, I got a text uh, Friday before 5 p.m. saying uh, uh, the trigger law is not in effect. Abortion is now illegal in Utah. Now, Utah has three exceptions. Um, and this is important, Corey, because you will hear MSNBC and CNN commentators ad nauseum and the White House press secretary say most, abor- uh, 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 most Americans support Roe versus Wade. That is partially true. Because most Americans believe that if Roe versus Wade was overturned, that abortion would automatically become illegal in all 50 states. The reality is, is in Utah today or tomorrow, more likely tomorrow, if a woman wanted an abortion, she's going to have to go to Denver or she's going to have to go to Vegas. And so this all of this talk about, you know, hangers and going back to the 1940s, I I think that um, is a little bit overblown. Um, But second of all, Utah has these three exceptions. So there's rape, incest, and the, 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 the serious health of the mother, where you can still get an abortion. And now everybody is going, and, and so most Americans will actually support um, abortion restrictions, as long as you have those caveats and exceptions. And several states like Florida, they may allow abortions for the first six weeks or in the first 15 weeks. Several Republican states may land in that position. And um, I think with with those three exceptions, uh, incest, rape, rape, and and the the health of the mother, I think most Utahns, the vast majority of Utahns, will support these abortion restrictions. Of course, there's the hard left that, you know, they want abortion on demand and they're, they're never going to support that. And the last thing I'll say is if you listen to President Biden's comments on Friday, he was really doubling down on rape and incest. And none of his comments apply in Utah because we, we have those exceptions carved out. Yeah, I mean, that, that is that's the go to is always say that if uh, if if someone's raped and you're going to force them to have a child and really the first of all, as you said, in the, the Utah trigger law would would provide for that. But in any case, if you take rape and incest and the life of the mother and combine them, it's about a half a percent of the abortions that are conducted in America. So we have six, somewhere between 650 and 700,000 in the uh, last year, the year before. Recently. That's gone down from the early 2000s where it was over a million. So that's good. But in any case, we're talking about hardly any. I mean, it's that's that's just a... a not even a rounding error of the, the abortions that are happening. So when we come to, when it comes to polling, it's easy to say that the, the, the majority of Americans uh, oppose the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But once you start asking about details, they think that overturning Roe v. Wade means there's no abortions anywhere. 
like you said. But in fact, that's not true at all. And when they start to find out, oh, actually, you pretty much, you know, you're even if you live in a state that's a little bit more restrictive, you're going to be close enough to live in a state that's that's not so much. I mean, we're talking about driving to Vegas or, you know, Utahns drive to Disneyland all the time. So it's it's not super convenient, but it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I think that this absolutely vindicates all those who voted for Trump because of judges. Right. There was a there's a whole slew of of uh, evangelicals in particular who said, I there's a, a lot about Trump that I don't appreciate. But but the judges and these uh, and, and the law and abortion is so important to me that I think that this is this is a vote that I need to take. And I think I had quite a few friends more than I can count say that to me. And uh, and I think that's totally vindicated today. So. Uh, I want to say Planned Parenthood of Utah filed a lawsuit Saturday to block the Utah trigger law, claiming that it violates the Utah Constitution. Um, You know, the Salt Lake Tribune and most of our Utah outlets very dutifully reported that as if the lawsuit has merit and and that it's something we should even worry about. It doesn't. It's uh, it's it's incredibly it's just completely frivolous. I read through the complaint. It argues for a fanciful reading of the Constitution. The complaint basically says we wish the Constitution says this, the Utah Constitution, which it doesn't. So um, that to me, I'm just noting it because it's it's continually irritating to me that uh, that some of this stuff is reported as it is. And uh, and one uh, Salt Lake Tribune reporter who I won't name, you know, printed that that this is the first time that the Supreme Court has ever taken away a right, which is just patently false. I mean, there was and. You know, anyone who was interested can Google uh, Lochner era and see that there were several uh, constitutional rights, sometimes viewed as more conservative, substantive due process that were granted by the Supreme Court and have been taken away. So, Well, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that this was a bad thing, but slave owners uh, with the Dred Scott decision had the right to own slaves. And the <laughs> right. Amendment took that away. And, and I think that was a good good thing to take away, but uh, a slave owner who lost all of his slaves might take issue with Brian shot at the tribune saying, this is the first time the Supreme court has uh, given a fundamental right. And it's been taken away. Yeah. And that, and that was considered a property right, which again is offensive on every level. But before we move on, Corey, and I know this is a national issue, but I think there's, there's two things worth mentioning. Number one, a lot of conservatives continue to be disappointed with justice Roberts and Justice Roberts was clearly angling for um, some middle ground here. What he wanted to do was he, he wanted to uphold the 15-week ban for abortions after 15 weeks in Mississippi. Um, and some people, I think, um, are saying that Roberts has lost control of the court and he's now a lone man. And and on this, on this particular decision, he was alone um, and had... Merrick Garland been appointed instead of Neil Gorsuch. And if it had been a 4-4 to split, this would have been a very different decision because I think um, I think Roberts would have gotten the four justices to go along with him to uphold the 15-week ban, but keep Roe in place. Um, but well, I mean, so, during the during the oral argument, he was trying to make that case to both sides, was. to both councils, even to the even to the liberal council, the 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 Biden yes. administration saying like Hey, don't you think that we could do this? 
which by the way, in Europe, that's most European countries. That's what they do. I mean, France is like 12 or 14 weeks. People don't realize how that, far ahead of Europe and Canada that the, the, the Democrats yeah. are on abortion. So, but he, he couldn't get any takers on the left either. So he, he was couldn't. really on an island by himself. This isn't, but, this isn't just the conservative justices leaving him alone. No, this is no, no, no. But I want to say this. Number one, I believe, um, I, well, number one, I, if I were on the Supreme Court, I would have sided with, um, with Alito and, and the conservative justices. But I, I want to defend Roberts in this respect. I believe that he is trying to preserve the integrity of the court. The other interesting uh, thing about this was um, uh, Justice Thomas basically was a, a lone man saying we should um, overrule all of the substantive due process slash privacy rights cases, including interracial marriage and um, gay marriage, same-sex marriage and everything else. And so a lot of people are trying to paint that as, oh, all of these other decisions are now under threat. I don't think they are. I think that, and I don't think that Roberts, who's married, I mean, sorry, Thomas, who's married to a white woman wants to ban interracial marriages. I think that's silly. I think Roberts is is onto this emperor, has new, clo- new clothes, and he's saying the court should stay in its own lane and the court should stop deciding issues, um, you know, as legislating issues and issues that should go to, to the legislatures. And I, and with that, I'm, I'm with Roberts. Now, if he got his way and if tomorrow these were kicked, you know, to the states, I would, I would vote to allow interracial marriages and I would even vote to allow same sex marriages. I probably wouldn't have 10 years ago, but I would today. And I'll tell you, if you have a couple in Utah, a same sex couple who's married and they've adopted two kids, that's not a right I'm going to vote to take away from them because I think that's a little different than than this so-called fundamental right of abortion. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's clearly not the votes there. Alito said it in the decision. Yeah. Kavanaugh yeah. said it in his concern, concurrence. So I think this is just pure fear-mongering. We got to move on. Yes. All right, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but the Senate unanimously passed a modified version of Senator Mike Lee's Formula Act this week. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Formula Act is his, his response uh, remedy for the, the for, formula shortage, baby formula shortage. And uh, according to Lee, the Lee press release, the Formula Act was created to combat uh, domestic baby formula shortages. We talked a lot about this, bolster the supply chain. So this modified version just essentially lifts the tariffs on baby formula produced outside the U.S. for 90 days. The original bill would have gone farther, you know, have addressed the WIC program, which we talked about, and, and other government price controls. But I want to mention this. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it's a big victory for Lee. I really do. I think it's the right policy at the right time. I think that actually addresses the problem in a way that will actually help. I think he deserves a lot of credit. I think passing anything in the U.S. Senate is nearly impossible today especially in a timely way that addresses a live problem that we're, <laughs> that is happening in the moment. So I, I want to give kudos to him. And, and I wonder, Todd, does this, does this legislative success, does it undermine the core critique that Becky Edwards and, and Allie Isom have that Lee is a do nothing, accomplish nothing Senator? Cause I think he just did it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. He deserves kudos with this. And I also think in terms of the baby formula crisis, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's a little too late, too little too late on this crisis. Now, I, I'm agreeing with you that it's the right policy. Um, 
um, the, the, the ballots have to be postmarked and, and in the mail by tomorrow or Monday. Um, and so I, I don't think it's going to have any impact on this election. Um, he's going to win the primary with or without this. And the people that hate Lee are still going to hate Lee and the people that love Lee are still going to love yeah. Lee. So yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I think he deserves kudos on this. And I think it is, it is a step, a, a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next topic. Uh, this week, Project Veritas released a couple of videos targeting Representative John Curtis and Senate candidate Becky Edwards. Project Veritas, for those who don't know, is a group known for producing expose videos using secret recordings. They're most known for their exposition of left-wing organizations, especially Planned Parenthood and ACORN from, uh, from a few years back. But they've been pretty active for a long time. Uh, here they used an under- undercover camera uh, to video a conversation with a John Curtis campaign aide talking about Curtis's views on abortion. It shows a campaign aide telling the interviewer that Curtis opposes Utah's abortion trigger law, that Curtis would prefer Roe v. Wade remain in place, that Curtis doesn't want to say anything publicly because he fears it's kind of the, the crazies in the Utah Republican politics. It's pretty bad across the board. <laughs> now, uh, for I think for Curtis, this is a, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a happy look or whatever, especially since he's being targeted by um, uh, the more conservatives, especially in Utah County, for for being uh, more moderate. I, I understand. I, I'm told, I don't know if this is true, but I'm told that this kid was an intern, and he probably was acting tough a little bit, trying to show off a little bit. And obviously he was, he was uh, ambushed. Uh, of course, he still did a lot of talking. But how big of a deal do you think this is, Todd, for Curtis? Uh- I think for the people like Chris Herod that hate Chris Herod, uh, John Curtis, I think it's a big deal. I think for everybody else, I mean, at least the Becky Edwards uh, Project Veritas, that was Becky talking and kind of confirmed what she said in the debate several other times that she doesn't necessarily support overturning Roe versus Wade. But to get someone on the, you know, low, low level staffer on the Curtis payroll to say, what Curtis uh, ostensibly believes. And then when the Roe decision came out, Curtis was the first one to release a press release praising yeah. it. Um, so I don't think it has a big impact. I, I think we all know that Curtis ran for the state legislature as a Democrat. He was actually chair of the Utah Democratic Party. And guess what? Ronald Reagan also used to be a Democrat, and he turned out to be a pretty good Republican president. And Donald Trump <laughs> has uh, donated and voted for and I think been registered as a Democrat before. And so I, I get less caught up with what somebody was registered as 20 years ago as as to what their voting record is today. I think Curtis has a very solid voting re- re- record. So, that yeah, this is not a good look for him, but it's also not a death knell. All right, let's talk about a couple of polls to close it out. So the Deseret News, Dan Jones poll uh, came out with another, had polled the uh, the first dis- congressional district and the third congressional district. These are polling registered voters, which again, includes so Democrats and independents. Yeah. yeah, we don't know for sure if these people are are actually going to vote and, uh, and, and, it, and it covers the gamut of all. Yeah. Of all voters in Utah. But in any case. Andrew in the first district, Andrew Badger takes six percent. Remember, he won the convention with almost sixty percent. He got like fifty nine point six percent. He almost got sixty yeah. percent. But in this poll, six percent. Tina Cannon five percent. Blake Moore fifty two percent. Don't know thirty seven. Now I I I've 
I think that Andrew Badger was pretty effective in terms of his campaign for the convention, reaching out to the delegates and so forth. But I wonder, I mean, to me, like whether, you know, whether he would be competitive or not, I'm not sure, but I will say it does show that when you're, when it comes to a primary money is really the difference maker because 6% means they don't even know who the hell he is. Yeah. He's doing honking waves you know, he's posting on Facebook, but nobody's seeing it. Nobody cares. Nobody knows who he is. Uh, Blake Moore, on the other hand, you know, he, he raised somewhere like 700,000 and, and, and he's getting his uh, name out there and his message out there. So not, that's not to say that Blake Moore would lose this anyway. I'm sure he, he probably wouldn't, but so what do you so, think about it? Well, so first of all, um, um, I think Andrew Badger is going to lose. I think Blake Moore is going to win because even with everything you said about the poll, we still know that uh, Blake Moore is at least nine, you know, 900% ahead of both of his opponents. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's a pretty good place to be in, you know, uh, three days before the primary election uh, deadline. <laughs> um, second of all, um, Andrew Badger's an interesting candidate because I think he's now had four different addresses um, during this campaign, he was actually mailed a ballot from Summit County, but now claims he's a Weber County resident. Um, and so he's he's going to have two ballots to potentially fill out. Uh, no, I'm just joking about that. <laughs> to fill out his, uh, that would be a, a violation of the law. Um, and I can't blame this on Badger. I'm not going to say he's completely harmless, but his supporters have been absolutely rude, horrible, condescending to Tina Cannon, which came out in a Tribune story this week. I actually um, reached out to Tina and apologized to her on behalf of the nasty uh, Andrew Badger supporters, the way they've been. They're, they're, they're badgering her, trying to get her to drop out because they think maybe then, I guess, Badger would go from 6% to 11%. I'm being a little <laughs> bit facetious. Um, but this whole ugliness in the Utah Republican Party primaries, I don't like. And Ann Milner had a mailer sent out against her, calling her a swamp creature and showing her in yellow and green hues. Um, uh, Ray Ward's Republican opponent has put out, his campaign has put out signs saying that Ray Ward is pro-choice. I mean, it's been a really ugly primary and I'm, I'm quite pleased that it's going to be over in about 48 hours. Yeah. I mean, whatever you feel about these candidates, I can't imagine that that's effective anyway. But, I, um, I, I can't either. And I think a lot of times that that stuff backfires. Yeah. All right. So the last one for the third district polling shows John Curtis has 44%. Don't know 42%. Chris Harrod, just 14%. Now, Chris Harrod, he's run multiple times. At least people in Utah County certainly know who he is by now. And, uh, and he's only pulling 14%. Obviously he raised like no money. He's not getting his message out, but he got uh, over 50% of the, no, he got 40. Anyway, he, he won the convention handily um, and, uh, and it, you know, did very well. So, you know, there is obviously a disconnect from, from the move to moving from having conversations with delegates, working that process versus like getting your name out to the, to yeah. the mass public. Chris Harris, a nice guy. I think he's a smart guy. He's a terrible candidate. And most people who had run four or five times and lost, you know, miserably every time would probably stop banging their head on the wall. But I, I fully expect Chris Herr will run again. And people have forgot he ran against Orrin Hatch when Dan Lillenquist did. And, um, and this is, I think, the third or fourth time he actually ran against um, 
John Curtis, when he first got in the legislature, and John Curtis beat him with the delegates, but neither of them got 60%, and Enid Green, as party chair, picked Chris Herod over John Curtis to serve in the legislature. That's the only reason John uh, Chris Herod got uh, in the legislature. So, interesting. Uh, these two have been, like, battling out for over 20 years, and... Um, <laughs> Um, and John Curtis always seems to get the best of him, except when Enid Green and Enid Green today bemoans that choice because she does not like Chris Herod anymore. But in any event, um, I, I don't know why he's doing this. I don't, his wife, I, I just wonder what her reaction is every two years when he says he's going to run for Congress again. But, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, barring a plane crash or something like that, I, I, Chris Herod's not going to be elected to Congress from Utah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a safe bet. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thanks. Thanks, Corey.